0: Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast for Real Life Church Pullman. We exist to help people know and become like Jesus. But well, We are continuing our Good Church series. Uh, this is week three of our Good Church series. So the first week we talked about tov, uh, which is the Hebrew word for good, and how we need to be intentional with forming goodness culture around the goodness of God. And last week we talked about something we need to resist as well as something we need to value, which is we need to resist narcissism and value what? Empathy. Thank you. Empathy. Yes. And so we talked about how important it is to treat the person we're speaking to with empathy. We meet them where they are, just as Jesus has met us where we are, and we value people more than our value our own opinions in those times when we're listening, and the importance of listening and having a culture that listens well, where people are heard. And so we, uh, we, we talked about that, and, and this week I'm going to be introducing a new one. It is, we resist false narratives and value truth. We resist false narratives and value truth, is what we're going to be looking at today. But let me start off this way. So how many of you know that kids are naturally good at truth-telling? <laughs> I have a six-year-old who is not afraid to tell me what's wrong with me. Um... And what I'm wearing is ridiculous or whatever. Kids are, are kind of known, especially younger kids, to be pretty good at telling the truth. And so I went on the internets and I found some examples of kids telling the truth. Can I, can I share them with you? These are I think these are pretty good. So these are are written mostly by, by moms and teachers, so that you know they're going to be really good. This one says, I lead the after-school drama club at my kids' school. A first-grader said can you teach me how to act like I'm listening when my dad talks? Very truthful. My six-year-old told me, wow, you are eating ice cream and not getting messy at all. You should be an ice cream eater. And now I'm thinking of making a career change. This four-year-old boy just told me, you're the prettiest girl I've ever seen. Well, just today. And here's my last one. It's in a conversation. It says, me, guess what time it is? Kid, I don't have to guess. I can read the clock. (laughs) Me, it's time to clean your room. Kid, no, it's (laughs) 2.45. Kids are pretty good at telling the truth. And if you've been around kids, if you're a teacher or a parent, you know that sometimes you get told the truth and it kind of stings a little bit kind of hurts. It's kind of too true sometimes. A little bit of a discretion at times we want our younger kids to to take when they speak to us. But I think we have a lot we can learn from the truth telling of children. You know, Jesus even said that we must have a faith like a child. And so there's, there's a lot we can observe and learn from our littles as far as the importance of truth, even when it's tough, even when it's messy, even when it's difficult. And as we think about our culture, as we think about what we value as a community, truth-telling is, is up at, at the very top. And we have to be able to do it in a way that we do it when it's hard, we do it when it's difficult, When we must do it when it's messy. Because we value it more than spinning or building false narratives within our cultures. We have to think intentionally about forming and shaping a church culture that values truth. Because when you think about what it means to be the, a good church, a church that pursues the goodness of, of, of Tov or of God, there's no part that has us pursuing things like lying or deceit or cover-ups, suppression, gaslighting, or spinning. These are things that will absolutely destroy a community that pursues goodness because of the things that it values. If we're valuing cover-ups and protection of self, rather than seeing the truth as a value and something to pursue regardless of the difficulty of it or how messy it might be, we're not truly living out of the goodness of God. Because we, God was not afraid to tell the truth when it was hard. I mean, he had many opportunities going to the cross, or he could have gotten out of it by even telling the truth. Yet, he stood and he spoke up in times that were difficult, by telling people who he was. And that led him to the cross. So in that honor, we must build truth-telling cultures, rather than resisting, co- resisting truth and building false narratives. So let's start with to talking about who we are. So building, or building a, a truth culture begins with understanding who we are. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to look at verses 8 through 11. I only have verses 8 through 10 there. Kept the media guys on their toes this morning. I added one more verse. So you can follow along with me. It says, for you were once darkness. You were once darkness. Speaking of the past. But now you are light in the Lord. Now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light consists of all goodness. There's the Tove concept. Righteousness and Truth, testing what is pleasing to the Lord. Don't participate in the fruitless works of darkness, but instead expose them. Now, truth must be who we are. It is an identifier of the people of God. If we are going to say, hey, we follow the Lord Jesus, well, Jesus said that he was the way, fill in the blank, the truth. And the life. That's right. So if we are going to represent him, if we're going to be the people that say, Hey, this Jesus is our Lord, we are we are his people here on earth, we must recognize that a part of who we are are light bearing, truth, goodness, righteous seeking people. And we cannot be that if we are participating in what Paul says here, fruitless works of darkness. We must leave the darkest things in the past and Take up the things of the light and be the actual children, the inheritance of the truth in this world. And it's a difficult thing to do because many of us are still wrestling with the things of the past, the darkness of the past, how we used to do things in the past. Being safe, it's comfortable at times, and it's hard to embrace the the accountability, the truth, the transformative power that is found in speaking the truth when it's hard, when it's difficult when it's messy, when it has consequences that we may have to reap because of it. And that takes a tough decision to make. It takes a a conscious decision to say, I'm going to choose truth regardless of the consequences. That's a character development we must have within our churches, within us individually, our people who pursue and value truth over the toxicity of what happens when we lie, when we deceive, when we cover up, when we spin the false narratives. So good churches, churches churches that pursue Tov or, goodness, or the goodness of God don't participate in the darkness. They expose it with the truth. They bring it to light. Where they go, what they talk about, who they are, they are beams and radiances of our God's light into the darkness. That is who we are as a people. I think that's pretty neat. That the Lord decided, hey, I'm going to build a people empowered by my spirit to go into the darkness with me and for me to expose the darkness. They are no longer of it. They are now of the light. Now, this would be very simple. And it's kind of a simple concept if truth was always easy, right? If truth was always easy to look at, but truth is actually very difficult to look at At many times. I'm going to share a story with you. You know, the Bible is full of people doing stupid things, Right? (laughs) And so we do a lot of stupid things. We do sinful things. And so in honor of the Bible talking about how people do stupid things, I'm going to share a story of how I do stupid things. So um, this was probably, I don't know, 13, 14 years ago. And I was working in retail, which retail is a fun thing to do. You guys ever worked retail? High-pressure sales? Yes. Super fun. Right? And um, I had a manager once. And she said, hey, the next person to walk in, I want you to sell this particular product. And I never liked that. I I never liked being kind of pressured to sell something that I didn't think somebody wanted. So I was kind of like, okay, fine. And that was kind of the culture of the time. And so I said, yeah, I'll I'll do that. Well, wouldn't you know, the next person to walk in was like this 92-year-old lady. And I was like, I do not think that they need an iPad or something. I don't know what it was. But I just remember being like, I can't do this. There's no way I could sell this person what we're trying to push. But I told my manager I would do it. So I walked over there and I kind of took her to the side and we talked and I solved her problem, whatever it was. And, and she went out the door and of course my manager comes up to me and we we'll walk back to her and she says, so how'd it go? I was like, oh, you know, she didn't really, uh, uh, you know, I talked about it, she didn't really need it. And she goes, why are you lying to me? And of course I just paled up, about as pale as you could get, much paler than this right here. And just froze. Of course, there's been around me here. You can feel the tension in the room. You can like cut it with a knife at this moment. Because I knew I got caught. Anybody ever got caught in a lie? It's not a good feeling, is it? It's a terrible feeling. And so she says, okay, well, she's like, why you lie to me? And let's go back to my office. And here I am going, oh, great. I'm going to get fired for lying. What a cool story this will be, right? I'm just thinking about myself in this moment, for sure. So we go back to her office. And I'm fully expecting to be terminated for... Flying to my manager well she sits me down and she you know, talks me through why'd you lie and I said you know I, I was afraid I was afraid of not doing what you told me to do I was afraid of um, the consequences I, was just, I just felt like I was in a corner and I didn't know what to do and, and she did one of the most tove things I've ever seen and it, it changed kind of my life in a lot of ways she just said okay I've, I understand I forgive you She's like, but I want you to know that you do not have to lie to me when you feel uncomfortable. You do not have to lie to me when you feel like you're afraid of the consequences. And that has always stuck in my mind because what she did there is she took someone who was caught in the lie and what she did, she didn't condemn me. She didn't throw me out the door. She didn't treat me like garbage. She helped to restore me. She made me feel safe. She made me feel understand and understood where I was to go, hey, we're, we're not going to do that. We're going to do something different. What you did was wrong, but what we're going to do is we're going to work through that so that you're healthy and you're good. And I thought that was something that, that stuck in my mind for the rest of my life into this day when I sit with somebody and I think about if they're confessing or whatever it is, I'm thinking, how can we bring restoration based off of this story? And I think good churches, not only do they expose the darkness, but they are there to bring restoration after it. They are there to bring healing. They are there to to bring redemption because that's what our Lord does. And it's hard and it's ugly and we have to look at things we don't want to look at and we have to share stories that make us not look very good, which is okay. Because truth is often hard. It's difficult. The number one reason people lie is because they're afraid of punishment. They They just want to avoid it. They lie to get out of the the scenarios and the consequences of what could happen. We lie because we're afraid of the punishment. And a lot of times, those small lies, they begin to snowball, don't they? They become stories. They become things we have to then defend, and we have to try to cover up, and we have to spin, and we have to justify, and they become a, a beast of their own just because we were afraid of telling the truth because we were afraid of what could happen or may happen if we told the truth. And it becomes a monster that has become out of control. And this is what false narratives are. They are usually small eyes that grow and develop over time and become consuming, full of darkness, and tweaking of who we are created to be as children of light. We feel like we have to defend them. We, we even have value to them. We have identity to them. So often people are just tied to a lie their own identity is tied to that as well. And the Bible is, is no different from... It says a lot about false narratives. There are stories of that because humans are in it, right? The first false narrative we read is in the third page of the Bible, Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve, if you've heard this story, you guys heard this story before? Okay, a few of you, good. So Genesis chapter 3, third page in the Bible, Adam and Eve partake of the forbidden fruit, right? They, sin enters into the world, Eve confesses, she goes, hey, I was deceived. I was deceived by the serpent. Adam spins the first false narrative. What he does is he goes, hey, God, it was that woman you gave me. You're, you're, is your fault, God. I, I know I was lonely, but you put her here. right?" This is the first spun false narrative we read about in humanity is when we are afraid of the punishment. Adam was afraid of the punishment, trying to avoid what could happen. And so he lies. He spins the truth. He says, well, actually, it was your fault, God, if you think about it, right? And you understand why God says what he does in the next few verses. He really goes after Adam because of this. False narratives are born out of lies due to, we're afraid of punishment. We want to avoid it. And so as a church community, we must resist false narratives by creating a culture of confession where it's safe to acknowledge the truth. Where it's safe to be able to express the things you've done, the places you've gone that are dark, and be able to see those not as things to be, consequences to be condemned with, but to see as places that these are to be redeemed, restored, and where you can grow and be transformed by the things that have happened in the past. You know, as churches and communities, false narratives are often motivated by things like zealous ambition to protect the church brand. Like, I really don't want to be a church that's like, look at our cool brand. That's not who we are. We are a people. We are not a brand. And so a lot of times church communities or even companies, they try to spin things so that the brand is safe, but the people are thrown out to the weeds. We see reputations that are trying to be defended. Oftentimes we have to defend the reputation of, the, of God or of the church. We have to spin it. God doesn't need us defending him. He's, he's good. He can handle that. The bride of God, the church, doesn't need us to try to defend its reputation. If it's made mistakes, the bride of Christ will, will confess and repent. That is the model that we are called to do and, and to be. We often are motivated to try to preserve the status quo or even leadership trying to preserve itself. You know, this is something that I have promised you the first day I walked in here was that I would never put myself in a place that I was above above you guys. And I would always be in a place of accountability. I love how our church is, is organized to the place where I am not on the elder board. I am actually submitted to the elder board so that you guys are protected from the consequences of my own toxicity if it was to creep in. I don't want this church to protect me because of my own issues if, when they come up, if they come up. We need to be a people who pursue truth because there are fruits of truth as we read in Ephesians 8 or 5.8. You know, we see things like goodness, righteousness, and truth. But there are also fruits of the evidence of the participation of darkness in churches or communities. Here's a few that you'll see as, as evidences of the fruits of the darkness that we participate in when we don't resist false narratives. It becomes a place where, credit, where critics are often discredited. So those voices that are often yelling for change within communities, remember last week I said a lot of times those voices really need to be the prophetic voices we listen to is how do we change and transform and actually become healthier places. A lot of times those voices are discredited first. Those critics are often demonized. Right? Don't affiliate with those people. I've seen pastor after pastor in my life do this. Almost unintentionally, but because they're trying to protect themselves or protect the church, or protect the brand, the voices that they should be listening to become demonized. Stories are spun back on people, making them feel crazy, often a, a term called gaslighting. The perpetrators often become the victims, or the, make the perpetrator the victim, where the victims are become kind of ostracized and out there, and the perpetrators are the ones that are given empathy. Silencing of the truth suppressing the truth and all of times what you'll see also is kind of a, a fake apology. We're going to talk more about that in a minute this idea of fakes apology. They don't really acknowledge anything. They just kind of go, sorry that happened. Let's move on. Right? Not super healing and not very restorative. So we must resist false narratives by living out and demonstrating two key Christian characteristics. This is how we resist it. As again, we, we have a culture of confession and a culture of Repentance that we are not afraid of these things, that we are not afraid to really acknowledge what's going on, and we're not afraid to make the, the hard decisions to change. In James five, verse sixteen, the Lord of the the brother of the Lord says this confess your sins to one another, and pray for one another so that you may be healed. We, we've lost a little bit of this idea of confession in our, our cultures. And I'm not talking about a confession where you come to me and just, just only to me and talk to me. Yeah, that would be fun, but you know, we're going we're to confess to share the load here, okay? As far as sins with one another. And it just means to acknowledge, put it out into the open. Because as we try to suppress truth, as we, as we are afraid to acknowledge it, a lot of times it roots in us, it sits in it and then it just festers. This lie just festers within us. And it's very difficult to then get it out because you feel like you have to defend it. Like you're so far down the lie that you feel like, I'm like there's like six lies on top of this one lie at this point. How do I go back? And so to have a culture of confession means that you're regularly and openly acknowledging and putting it in the open, that you're having conversation with a trusted brother or sister in Christ that you feel like, boy, I can really share with this person, which is why empathy is so important. When we talked about last week the importance of empathy, meeting them where they are, because you're gonna have to talk about hard things together. You're gonna have to have confession times where you acknowledge and put in the open the things of the past, things you're going through now, the things you're afraid of. This takes some really tough vulnerability. This takes tough character. This is a, a bold and courageous thing to do. It's a, a, not a courageous thing to do to, to hide the truth. It's, it takes a lot of courage to be truthful about what's going on with yourself and in your situation. It takes vulnerability. It's false narratives. Again, they're like little parasites. that just sit and fester in your heart and your body. They can even physically, there's even like psychologists who are seeing that the physical toll, the stresses of holding on to lies is. It's unhealthy. And so we must be a people who acknowledge the truth, value the truth, not afraid to talk about it, and to really be a place that understands each other we can bring healing for one another. So much is done in the restorative process where we get to acknowledge and confess our pains, our brokens, our sins, and to heal with each other through it. I mean, you think about marriages in the marital context of being able to express how you feel, and the things that you're going through with your spouse, and those things will save marriages. To be open and acknowledging of your faults, of your brokenness, of your sins with the person that you share your life with. The hardest part is we're just afraid of the consequences. We're afraid of the avoiding of the conflict, and that's the thing is the the boldness and courageousness of the people of light are those who understand there are consequences to our actions and are are willing to reap them should they come. I know that if I was to come here and spiritually abuse anybody, manipulate people, whatever it is, the consequences of that are me no longer being at this spot. And I'm excited, and I'm not excited, but I'm willing to accept those. I'm willing to accept that as a, as a consequence. But the truth is more important. So even if what you've done, the consequences seem scary, it's by far better to get them out, to acknowledge them, to get them out into the open so they can heal and bring life. Oftentimes in confessions as well, there's a thing called an apology, and, and um, I don't know if we're very good at apologies. I just think as humans, we're not very good at apologizing. There's a lot that gets in the way of us apologizing well, and so let me kind of walk through what it looks like to apologize poorly and apologize well, okay? Okay. So let's look at bad apologies, because as you confess, as you think about healing and bringing healing between interrelationships, apologizing is a huge part of this. So bad examples of apologizing. I'm sorry you feel that way. Yeah, not a good apology. I'm sorry you feel that way. I'm sorry, but... X, Y, Z. Let me justify why I did my actions. I'm sorry, but... I'm sorry, there, but there are definitely two sides of the story. Let me share what I think first. Not a good apology. This is one I've heard, I didn't put it in here, but this is one I've heard from, from leaders in the church many times in my own experiences. I'm just sorry I hurt you. Okay, but what hurt me, right? It's vague, it's open. And then my, first, my personal favorite, ugh, fine, sorry, Fine, I'll just apologize. I'm sorry. Okay, none of these are are good examples of apologizing. Good apologies actually contain four elements. The four elements of a good apology. The first one is acknowledgement of the offense. I'm sorry that I did X. I'm sorry, Amy, I didn't fold the laundry right, or I didn't fold the laundry like I said I would. Okay, be exact with the acknowledgement of what has been wronged. Full acceptance of responsibility. Now this is, as leaders, if you think about in your context, if you're in your house, as parents, work, church, whatever it is, taking responsibility of it is super important. Recognizing that you take responsibility is so healing to those who have been hurt and broken. By saying that I, this is on me, I did this. You know, what happens here at this church, as as the senior pastor, I take the responsibility of what it is. I take responsibility. I am responsible. Take ownership of the action of which you were part of. The third one, sincere expression of remorse and commitment to change. So sincere expression of remorse. Again, empathy. Be where they are. Understand what they're going through. They're feeling their expressions, their emotions. Feel the remorse. Let that hit you. And commit to change. Never again do I want to do this. Never again am I going to this. I'm going to do X to make sure this doesn't happen again. And that goes into the fourth component. Make someone whole or repair the damage. You tear down somebody's fence on accident, the worst thing you can do is go, oh, I'm really sorry about that, but good luck to you. Right? Go and fix the fence. Repair the damages. Be restorative. Make them whole. And you're in part of your apology. Commit to, to serving them and being with them and, and doing things that will help to bring restoration. These four elements really make up what a good apology looks like. They're difficult, they're hard, they make vulnerability, they can be messy, but they're the things that bring healing and restoration in our relationships, in our families, our churches, and our our lives. So we need to be intentional with being a people who share confessions with one another, acknowledge and put things out into the open that we're struggling with, things that have hurt us, whatever it may be. Be people who are good at apologizing, who understand what it looks like to apologize well and are committed to doing the apology well and value the truth of it. These are things that reflect the radiance of God and make us who we are meant to be, which is children of light. And in that, we will reap the goodness that we seek. We will reap the righteousness doing the right things in people for people. Seeing truth lived out in our lives and the goodness of God revealed. And that is a community that I think every human being on this earth wants to see and be a part of. I think our souls as humans are craving the goodness of God. And God has chosen a people to say, I am going to reveal my goodness through them. First it was Israel, now it's the church. It's a beautiful thing as the faithful people of God to be able to live this out in a way that is a powerful witness to our world. And the last component is the big scary R word, repentance. Repentance, and I think probably for some of us, we think of repentance as people on the street yelling at people, saying repent. But it actually has a very beautiful concept here. The Hebrew word is shub. Hebrew word is shub, and the Greek word is metanoeo, metanoeo. Gosh, that's a hard word to say. But it just means to turn. So shoobing is if you're walking in a direction and you shoob. You go like this. This is a shoob. You're walking, walking, and I'm going to shoob. Right? And so you're changing direction. You're making a physical turn. I think sometimes we think of repentance as purely just like, oh, I'm really sorry I did that. That's not repentance. Right? So let me have Gary. Gary, come up here real quick. You thought you were done for the day. Oh, I did. I did. So if Gary's here, and I'm, you know, poking Gary. You like this? This is good. Oh, I love it. Yep. Yeah. Not annoyed yet by this? I'm getting there. Okay. We're getting there. So if I'm doing this, I'm just poking Gary. If I'm like, Gary, at least really sorry I'm poking you right now. Mm-hmm. Do you forgive me? Sure. Hey. Shoot back here. But then if I, if you say that, then I keep, oh. do you feel like you, like do I did it, was I really sincere about my, not at all, no, no, now if I shoo, if I, if I repent, repentance looks like is this, I'm going to, I'm going to just take the temptation out here, do you feel safer now that I can't poke you, now that I'm further away, A little bit. good, I do have long I'm arms, afraid to come okay. oh yeah, no. no, so, thank you Gary, you can go, thank you can go sit down, Repentance is when we we separate ourselves from the temptation that breaks and hurts and brings the brokenness. And so apologies are good. They're good, sincere ways of confessing, hey, I recognize that I was poking you, Gary. Right? I recognize that. Sometimes it's just getting to that point, which can be hard sometimes with people. But then really the act of apologizing is the start, but the repentance is the action that follows through with it saying, hey, I recognize what I was doing, and I'm going to do things that separate myself from the task of hurting, broken, and destroying. The sin that I was bringing in needed to be shoved. I needed to turn the other direction from it. It's the the measurement of the seriousness of the confession. And the apology is in the act of Repentance. And when Jesus is, is, is proclaiming the good news in Mark 1, 5, he says, the time is almost fulfilled for the kingdom of God is near. Repent, shub, metaneo, and believe the good news. And what Jesus is saying there and proclaiming to the Jews of, of his day are saying, hey, there's an empire and world that you're pursuing that you're living like. There's a, a culture that you're a part of that's dark and is not of the kingdom of God Turn the other direction and pursue the kingdom of God, the goodness of God, the promises of God, the way that God has designed humanity to be, which is reconciled to God, which is loving and good and trustworthy and full of righteousness. He says, pull, turn the other direction and pursue the kingdom of God. Believe the good news. Put your faith in that the fact that the Christ has arrived, that the Lord has arrived to fulfill the promises made to Israel. So when you think about how you're shoobing when you're repenting, it's more than just the act of, hey, you know, I'm just going to separate myself, which is good. But it's also you're changing your posture more from the act of darkness into an act of pursuing the kingdom of God. That when you make the hard choices to say, hey, I'm going to put things in my life that are going to help me to turn away from the sin and the brokenness, I am actually posturing myself more towards Jesus. Posturing myself more towards the goodness of God to the point where I I believe where I am right now is I actually really enjoy apologizing and repenting. Because it helps to bring about a a closeness with God that I don't have when I try to do it myself, when I try to hide things, when I try to suppress things, when I try to keep things in the dark. It helps to be transparent. It helps to be authentic when you see that what you're doing is actually a kingdom-minded thing. When you're pointing your eyes more towards the kingdom of God, acting more like I'm I'm going to be a child of my acting, my compass more towards the kingdom of God. Good churches repent often. Children of light repent often. They see opportunities to grow closer to the Lord and closer together through these acts. Through the acts of confession, apologize, repentance, we actually become closer. That's the kingdom of God dynamic. Truth in, or the, the suppression of truth, false narratives, they destroy relationships. They destroy people. But confession, apologizing, repentance will glue us together, bring us closer together. The vulnerability, authenticity with one another is what brings us closer together. We have a, a, a person in this church, he was a Navy chaplain. And he was telling me a story where on the Navy ships they have a quartermaster on deck who makes corrections about every fifteen minutes to the course. If he doesn't check that course every fifteen minutes, they'll land off way off target from where they're supposed to go. You know, and so when I think of repentance, I think of the quartermaster on a navy ship. You know, as we come before the Lord, as we as we come into relationship in small groups, home groups, Bible studies, whatever it is, take the opportunities to have times of acknowledging the brokenness and the sin. Because it's just like the quartermaster. You're you're kind of checking your chart, checking your course. Repentance is making the physical act of correcting the boat as you go and going for the right course and the right target, which is a people of truth, a people of empathy, a people who reflect the goodness of God. So do it often. My prayers every morning start with, God, forgive me for the sins I've committed, and I'll just go through them the things I've done the things I've lacked the things I've heard I've done I do it all I I try to start every prayer that way with how God forgive me for the things I've done repentance is really repentance, confession, and apologies is is us not resisting the truth but surrendering to the truth and we have to be a people if we're going to pursue a healthy church culture here have to surrender to the truth no matter how hard, difficult, or messy it might be surrendering to the truth so let me end with this, this verse here, because this is really important. It's from Proverbs twenty eight thirteen, 13, the wisdom passages of God. He says, the one who conceals his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and renounces them will find mercy. Again, the number one reason most of us lie, spin, false narratives is because we're afraid of what will be, after, be at the end of it. But Jesus has told us that he will give us mercy at the end of it. We don't have to be afraid of the conflict. We don't have to be afraid of of what consequences might occur because getting in out, acknowledging, asking forgiveness, the Lord says, you will have mercy. You will have forgiveness. You will have healing. You will have restoration and freedom from the weight of trying to carry lies all the time. So let's be a people who look towards the mercy of God aren't afraid of acknowledging the brokenness and the sin in our lives, and have the courage to be able to take action and follow through with that with repentance. Amen? Amen. Let's pray and respond briefly together, and then we'll jump into the baptism. So I just want you to bow your heads. This is a time of reflection between you and the Lord, about what needs to be confessed. What areas of life do you really need to take serious? What things do you need to remove from your life or things you need to, to put into your life to help bring about repentance? Let's just take a few minutes and think about that as we just go to our Lord here. Father, as someone who is a representative of the pastors of the world, of church leaders. Lord, I want to confess and repent for the base of for the acts that have happened to many of us due to churches that are not pursuing truth, and ask for forgiveness. Lord, I ask for forgiveness for those that have been discredited, who have been wounded and broken, who have seen problems in churches and have been thrown out like weeds, disforgotten. Lord, their voices should have been ones that brought change rather than being discredited. Lord, I want to ask forgiveness for those who were demonized because they brought criticism to the church. Again, this is not a culture of goodness that does these things. Forgive us, Lord, for the times that we've spun stories that make the church look better than it is. You do not need us to try to spin stories and lie about the things that have happened. You need need us to be open about it, to lay it on the table, acknowledge it, and put into action how we can change. Forgive us, Lord, for making victims those who have tried to bring correction because they're hurt and broken and sick, who have seen the sickness within the church those who have silenced the truth, those who have been suppressed. Lord, forgive us for doing these things to your people, for bringing about darkness in a place that should be full of light and truth, where people can find safety and understanding and being open and acknowledging the things that they're going through rather than discarded and thrown out or made to feel less than. Help us, Lord, to have the courage to pursue the truth and to resist the times when it feels safer to cover them up. Those things will only bring toxicity and destruction. But we want to be a people who embrace the truth when it's hard, when it's difficult, when it's messy at all times and in every way. Thanks for checking out this message from real life. You can find out more about us by going to rlcpullman.com or by following us on Facebook or YouTube. Until next time, have a great week.